a syndication, you have passive investors and it's usually two or more passive investors. Whereas in a JV, either everyone is active or you can have maybe one passive investor. So that's really the difference. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Hello, and welcome back to the one and only Creative Real Estate Podcast. This is where we don't just talk about how to do a lease option in a subject to, but we talk about how to think outside the box to get a deal done. And today we actually have an expert, attorney Amy Wan from Brootstrap Legal, who's going to talk about how to raise private equity. So you say, oh crap, I can't buy a large multifamily deal because it's just so much money. I don't have a million dollars in the bank, so I'd never be able to do it. Well, guys, think outside the box, raise the equity, but do it right. So with that said, we've got Amy Wan. Amy, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate having you. I've actually wanted you on the show since over a year ago. You were pregnant with your first child and you were speaking at the best ever <laughs> conference and you blew a lot of people away. A lot of times, here's something with attorney's fees. They can be high because attorneys spent a lot of money to go to school and they got to somehow pay those investments back. So they charge a little bit of money. But what's really cool about Amy Wan, and you get it in the name, Bootstrap Legal. Bootstrap Legal. So what does that mean? It means she's found a way to offer these services, but instead of charging like $20,000, it's probably a little less. So with that said, Amy, just take us back to the day that you were deciding. I remember you, you said you worked for other companies, but there was a common day that you said, I'm going to start my own company. So tell us where were you in your head on that day? Yeah, sure. So I used to be a partner at a boutique law firm where all we did was real estate, you know, securities, real estate syndication transactions, right? And it was a good business. I was making good money. Um, I, I really enjoyed working with my partners. Um, but, you know, over the course of a couple months, a couple things happened. One was I went to a real estate event in Oakland. And I met all these very beginning aspiring syndicators. And one, one day, one of them called me up and they were like, hey, I'm ready to do my first deal. I want to raise $300,000. Um, can you tell me the process and how much it's going to be? And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to tell you all of that. And when I tell you the price, I know that you're going to go off and probably do something else and, and not do it. Um, through me and, and I'm perfectly okay with that. So I told him the price and then of course he went off and did something else. Right. Um, and it, it made me think like, this is crazy, you know, like securities laws apply to everyone who's trying to raise money from us investors, but you know, small syndicators or people raising a small amount of money, it, it just doesn't, the transactional cost just doesn't make sense, right? And it's really hard for the beginners who they're not out there taking down like 500 unit apartment buildings. Maybe they start with like a 10 unit one. So they don't need to raise more than a couple hundred thousand, right? Um, so that was, that was one thing. And the second thing was I started thinking about why I went to law school in the first place. And it was never to help the man, you know, the, the big institutions or anything like that. I, I always thought, um, you know, my, my dad is a small business owner, right? And I watched him struggle through the years. And my dad literally had to buy these like 
you know, legal book books for dummies to tr try and figure out things on his own. And I thought, you know, access to justice is, it's important for me. And today we have the technology that can make so much of this simpler, right? And so I was sitting there just writing fund documents, very similar fund documents all day long. And, you know, inevitably, it's like 4.30 on a Friday and the client wants you, calls you and they want something like that day or on Saturday or on Monday. And so, so many of my weekends were spent, you know, doing fire drafting as opposed to like enjoying or relaxing or walking my dog. And so it was just all these different reasons that I thought, hey, like maybe let's, let's try something else, throw a little bit of technology into the mix and see if we can, if we can upgrade the legal process and just make this more accessible and affordable and meaningful for regular people. I love it. Okay, so that's how uh, Bootstrap Legal was born. Um, and just a reminder that what we're talking about today is how to raise equity legally. Stop saying to yourself, man, I don't have a million dollars, so I won't be able to close on a $5 million property and put, you know, 20% down. Stop saying that. There is another way. Um, there is a way to actually pull these together. And guys, I've done several syndications myself. We've raised $5.2 million. And the most important thing is we did it legally. And that's what we're talking about today. So there is two things. And I want to make a distinguishment now in the beginning of the podcast episode. There is JV partnerships. I want you to define that. And then there's syndication. So if we could just start there. Right. So I know a lot of people in the real estate industry get this very mixed up, right? Um, there's a lot of crazy myths flying around. So let me break it down to you. And, I, and it's actually very elegant and simple, right? Um, whenever you are doing some sort of group investment, um, what comes to mind is, am I doing a syndication or a joint venture? A joint venture is when you have business partners who are all somehow contributing. Maybe one guy is doing, you know, um, the construction management, one person's doing investor relations, one person's doing, but they're all bringing some sort of skill and they're all actively involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the project, right? You don't have passive investors, they're all active investors. Contrast that with a syndication where you have what is usually the sponsor, who are the day-to-day -day people, right? And then you have all these other people who are passive investors. And I'm not talking about like, you know, um, oh, people who, you know, I often get the question of, oh, well, you know, if I invite my investors over and we drink wine and we vote on the color of the paint, are they active investors? And it's like, no. That's, that's not where we're going with this, right? They all have to be actively contributing something. Um, they invest their money and then they get a return on investment. And, you know, occasionally they want to check in to make sure things are going okay. Otherwise, that's their role, right? Um, so syndication, you have active investors and it's usually two or more uh Sorry, sorry. A syndication, you have passive investors, and it's usually two or more passive investors. Whereas in a JV, either everyone is active or you can have maybe one passive investor. So that's really the difference. I actually never heard that. So I want to take it back and I want to clarify. Um, if I buy a property 
and I don't have all the money myself, but uh, a friend of mine or a family member has the entire amount that I need. And we partner up and uh, I run the show and they are not running the show. They are passive. But if it's only one, the question is, is this a security? Do I need to file this with the SEC? Okay. So you touched on a very interesting topic, right? So um, how do I explain this in a very simple manner? Um, there Cause you are... know that I'm a simple man. <laughs> so this is the way to do it. All so right, I, so, you know, there's this thing in securities law called the Howey test. And one prong of the test. Spell said, that for me real fast so I can throw it in the notes. Howey test? Howey, H-O-W-E-Y. Okay, Howey test. Okay, got yes. it. Okay, so, keep going. Um, one prong of the Howey test um, uh, says that basically it has to be like, uh, I, I forget the exact phrasing off the top of my head, but basically it has to be, uh, you know, a, a common enterprise, I think is the, the term, right? Different states or different jurisdictions um, have different interpretations as to whether a common enterprise needs at least two people or if one person is enough, right? Um, so it is a jurisdictional question, but in terms of how I counsel my, my clients, to me, if it's like, you know, you have, you know, maybe three active investors, three, three people who are part of the sponsor, but you have one purse, one passive investor, you know, it, it's very gray. It's a jurisdictional question, but, you know, I, I don't think that this is, you know, one of those situations where, um, you know, the SEC is going to be super crazy in terms of enforcement, right? And so, you know, it's a, it's a great question, but, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I draw the line at, you know, two or more. Okay, got does that it. that make sense? It. it does, it does. Okay, okay so, so, so let's, uh, let's clarify again here. There's two things. There is the JV partnerships, and then there's mm -hmm. what's called a syndication. Mm -hmm. And um, so let's, tell me again, what is a JV partnership? JV is all active investors or only up to one passive investor. And then a syndication is um, all passive investors, the people who are putting money, although the sponsor can put in money too. Now, the, the significant difference here is that securities laws apply for syndications. They don't apply for JVs generally, right? JV okay. is, it's a business partnership. You know, you have a group of people coming together to um, undergo some sort of venture versus a syndication. It's, it, we're really getting to hardcore securities laws. So as far as there's, there's a difference between those two, now, now let's talk about when you're actually talking about utilizing a security and having a syndication, um, what are the legal ways to go about raising the money there? So in general, there's a whole slew of legal ways. In reality, there are really only a couple methods that people commonly use. By far, the most popular method is something that we call Rule 506B as in boy, right? And what this rule says is that you can raise money from as many people as you want, right? You can raise as much as you want. 
However, what I always tell clients is what the SEC giveth, the SEC taketh away, right? And so um, for those freedoms, for the freedoms that they grant you in raising money, they are going to ask you for certain things in return. So what they give you in Rule 506B is that you can take up to 35 non-accredited investors, right? So they don't have to be rich people. Mm-hmm. And you can take as many accredited investors as you want. Up to uh, what? Up to what? Uh, it depends on the legal structure that you use. Um, but technically under securities laws, there's no limit. Now under like LLC laws and other things, it's usually like 99 investors, okay. right? Okay. Um, so 35 non-accredited, uh, as many as you want accredited. Um, those non-accredited people, you have to have a pre-existing uh, relationship with them and they have to be sophisticated investors, AKA they have to understand what they're investing in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you basically cannot do what we call general solicitation, which is basically advertising, right? You can't go and talk about the deal on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and like, you know, shout it out on the top of rooftops or at meetups, right? You have to be raising money from people within your network generally. Okay, let me pause you there. We're talking about 506B as in boy, which I call the buddies, okay? These are, you can't generally solicit. These are your friends. These are people mm-hmm. you already have a relationship with. And um, what Amy just said is you cannot, again, you cannot advertise or generally solicit the deal. My question is, Amy, what if, I have always, I'm going to do 506B, mm-hmm. but I, and I want to tell people about it. I want them to know that I'm always doing 506B. I'm always like raising equity. And when I do it, I do it legally. I want to figure out how do I tell people that on social media, but not advertise a specific deal. Yes. So there are definitely ways to do that. That is a great question. It's a question I get all the time. When you advertise an offering or a deal, it is very different from advertising your business or what you generally do or bragging about your projects and things like that, right? So what I'm talking about on the deal side is you can't post on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'm raising $5 million um, with a, a projected, you know, uh, 15% uh, you know, IRR on 123 Main Street here's a link, click invest here, right? We're we're getting to very specific deal terms. We're talking about a specific deal. That is very different from saying, hey, my name is Adam. Um, I am a multifamily syndicator and we do on average 20 properties a year. Um, Oh, look, we we just um, exited out of this property and gave investors a 40% return or something like that, right? So you can talk about past things. You can talk about what you do generally. Um, You just don't want to talk about any current offerings or raises publicly. Now you can do it privately via email with a listserv that you have vetted, right? But, you know, there's, there's a lot of communication guidelines around general solicitation. Okay, so you mentioned something. Okay, this is great, and I hope a lot of people are hearing this. So let me try to sum it up. You said under Rule 506B, you can't talk about the deal 
on social media. But under Rule 506B, what you might be able to do, and I'm trying to clarify, is you might be able to say, I'm Adam. I do four deals a year. I wish I did 20. I do four <laughs> deals a year. Um, and, and on the last one that we had, we gave out 40% return. The question that I have there, that so far that's pretty good, right? I've got you. Okay, so what if on that uh, same thing, I have heard a few attorneys say, if you say we gave a 40% return, that you have to back it up somewhere with the negative that says we don't Past always- performance does yeah. not reflect future performance, yes. Is that accurate? Um, it you is. Have to do that? Yes, you okay, should definitely okay. have it on. So for example, a lot of times when I see people bragging on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, right? They'll be like, oh, like here's our blog post about our exit from this deal or here's our, our, our LinkedIn article that we wrote or whatever, right? Um, and so they will, you know, have a general like one or two sentences. They put the link, you know, which, which pops up with a little picture in the headline. And then when you actually click on it at the bottom says, you know, past uh, performance does not reflect future performance. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Got it. Got it. Perfect. Now I want to ask you, you said you started off this whole thing five-ish minutes ago by saying there was, there was a lot of ways that you can legally raise money, mm -hmm. but the two most common, and you said 506B was number one. Mm -hmm. What's the second to the most common? So, you know, okay. So 99% of private capital Okay, maybe not 99%, but upwards of 95% of private capital in the U.S. is raised under 506B. After that, there's a lot of um, other things. And uh, the one that you choose basically depends on your specific strategy, right? Um, so one that's become more popular in the last couple of years is what we call 506C, as in CAT. And so that one is very much like, um, like uh, 506B, right? You um, can raise from accredited investors. You can raise as much as you want. However, the 35 non-accredited investors go away, right? And now you are actually allowed to generally solicit. So you can talk about the deal everywhere you want, right? You, can, you can't make misrepresentations, but you can talk about the deal, right? To try and draw people in. Now, uh, with the SEC give, the SEC take it away, right? And so here, because it's accredited investors only, because the SEC does not want you going out on social media, saying all this stuff, enticing the wrong type of people, you know, grandma and her last social security check, right? They're going to actually um, ask you to verify that your investor is an accredited investor, right? Does and that have to be third party? It does not. You can do it yourself. Okay. The only thing is that um, sometimes it can become very nuanced and tricky. And so, you know, there's third party service providers out there that will do it for like 30, 50 bucks an investor, which honestly I think is a lot less. Um, it, it, I think it's just, it's not worth the effort for you to do it by yourself because if you get into weird issues around mm. trust or you do it the wrong way or whatever, um, and there's just a lot of you know, when I was general counsel at a real estate crowdfunding platform, I had to, uh, you know, do verification of, you know, hundreds of investors. And, um, you know, there's just so many issues. There's privacy issues. There's um, personal information issues. Um, people, like, 
I remember I had to verify someone who like was like, well, I have like 50 gold bars under my bed. Hmm. How are you going to do that? And I, and we just, we had to figure out clever ways, you know, so things, it, it can get really weird. Okay. Um, now let me back up a tiny bit because here's the thing. Now people that are less experienced and even actually, unfortunately, some educators in the space of multifamily syndication, it blows my mind, have, I believe, a few misconceptions. And I want to ask you this question about these misconceptions now to try to see if we can shed some light. And so here I'm going to play uh, a role here. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to play this role where I go in front of a meetup group. Okay. I don't necessarily know everybody in the meetup group, but yeah. I have a syndication and I, I stand up in front of everybody and I say, I have a deal, one specific deal that I'm about to close. I'm raising $3 million for it. And, um, and they don't know if they're doing a 506B or a 506C. They just know that they're raising money. And one detail that they do know, you go up to them and you say, is this only for accredited only? And this is my tricky question. This is just my tricky question. Is this for accredited only? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We can have up to 35 sophisticated or non-accredited investors. So the question here. You can see my eyes. <laughs> perfect, perfect. The question here, uh, did what they do, did, is what they just did in front of a meetup group and if they can have up to 35 unaccredited investors, was that legal? Are they allowed to generally solicit like that? Okay, so I'm going to give you a very infuriating attorney answer, which is right. it depends. Okay. Oh no. So, so um, if they can take up to 35 non-accredited investors, then that means they're probably doing a 506B, mm -hmm. right? So really, it's going to come down to the facts and circumstances of the case. If they are attending a meetup, where even if they don't know the people in the meetup. Um, the all the attendees of the meetup have been qualified in some manner to make sure that they're accredited, aka, you know, like here's an analogy. Um, in Silicon Valley, there are these accelerators where they have these demo days for the startups, right? And every season they invite all these VCs investors into a room for demo day and the startups their pitch for investment money. The SEC has actually said hey, that is okay because everyone in the room that's invited has a pre-existing relationship with Y Combinator and they have all been vetted, been vetted as investors. So that's okay. But if this is some random meetup where there are not qualifying people, random people show up, you don't know. Which I think is 99% of them. I know, I know. Okay, okay. keep yeah. going. Yeah, so, so you know, I am very, very aware that people in the real estate business do this all the time. I am aware, like every every day when I open LinkedIn, I, I see probably a securities law violation on my newsfeed, right? <laughs> um, so I'm very much aware that there are folks not uh, doing things properly. Um, and there's a lot of people in the real estate industry that don't do things properly. What I always say to my clients is, look, like... I think it all comes down, okay, legally, legally, um, as an attorney, I have to say, the law applies to everyone, right? And if you're not 
complying with the law, you're raising money in violation of securities laws. From a uh, practical perspective, I find that clients have different levels of risk tolerance. And so for clients who are probably older, they have a family, they have a lot more to lose, they care about their reputation, they're going to do everything by the T. If it's like someone who's just starting out, they're 20 years old, they're like trying to flip a property, um, they don't have a family, they don't really have anything to lose, those people tend to be more cowboyish, right? And so they're just going to go off and do whatever. And, and nothing I can say is, is going to change that. And, and that, that's fine. Like, so be it, right? It, it all comes down to like, how well do you need to be able to sleep at night? Great. My next question, my next question is, now we talked about 506B. We talked about 506C. Have you heard of a 504 before? I know about 504s. I personally do not do them. Um, you know, there are attorneys that will. It's just that I and other lawyers who have been in the space for a while have found that it is more, you know, 504 on its face sounds awesome, right? But, you know, we have found over time that it, it's just more difficult to make sure that clients uh, are able to comply with 504 throughout the entire money raise. And um, not all states recognize it. Hmm. Thank you so much for going into that. It was very curious because uh, I recently heard about it for the first time. I've heard of uh, reggae, uh, tier one, tier two. I've heard of crowdfunding uh, and 504 was, is the new one that kind of came up and I was just, I didn't know enough about it. So if you, if you were really experienced with it, I was going to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, so, so I'll say this, right? Um, I find that when people, you know, come for their first consultation, they come in with this idea of like, oh, I'm going to raise money under 506C or 504, especially the, the beginners, right? Because they've like been Googling and they're like, mm. oh, like I'm going to do this one. This one sounds good, right? Yeah. Um, once you've handled a lot of these, I think from practical experience, and this is what I was talking about earlier, it comes down to strategy, right? So when it comes to 506B, I say that's like a general, like anyone. It doesn't matter how experienced or inexperienced you are. Anyone can use 506B. 506C, a lot of beginners love to use it, but really it's for the more experienced influencer market, right? Who they, they're not doing 506C on every deal. They're just doing it once in a while to reel more people in through a different kind of advertising. Oh, hold up, hold up. That was, that was genius what you just said. Will you say it again? Because there's, there's a lot of influencers that I believe could learn a ton from what you just said where they only do 506C every now and again. So if you could repeat it. Yeah, so 506C is really where you are very, very good at marketing and you are more experienced, right? And so um, for folks who are influencers, I think 506C, a 506C offering for them once in a while can be really good because they can take advantage of how you can market under 506C to reel more investors into their you know, listserv or whatever. Got it. Okay. So, so they might use it every once in a while, real people in. And when, as they build that up, because it's easier to use a 506B, there's less things you have to do, less money you have to spend. When they already have their investors over here, 
they'll just keep doing Bs. And they're like, okay, now we need to build that list. Let's do a C, advertise it. Gain the, uh, that is awesome. Okay. Although you do have, I'm going to caveat this by saying that you have to do certain things, right? Like you have to season the investor a bit. You know, it's, it's generally a good idea to wait a little bit from when they signed up on the listserv under your 506C and like you actually presenting a 506B deal to them, you want to qualify them, right? Like build that pre-existing relationship. So have that phone call, make them fill out the survey or whatever it is you do, right? So so that's how I'm going to qualify that. Um, in terms of the other ones that you mentioned, Reg CF, not great for real estate. Um, you can only raise up to a million dollars every 12 months from it. Um, not generally super helpful and for very much like beginner small business owner folks, Regulation A plus is the other side of the spectrum where it allows you to raise up to fifty million dollars, but you have to go through all these hurdles. So that I also put in the influencer category of like, oh, I've exhausted all my credit investor capital. Let me, you know, raise money from all the folks on my on my listserv who aren't accredited, right? And then five of four is just one of those things where. You know, people come in, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do a 504 because I can raise money from non-accredited investors. And my whole thing is like, when you, you, when you start your fundraising process, you don't know like that you're not, you know, ex- exactly which states you're going to get investors from or how many investors you're going to have or whatever. It's hard to predict. So, so that's why I'd like to always go back to 506B because it's like, hey, you can raise money from foreign investors. You can raise money from investors in every U.S. state. Like, it's it's a good deal. It's easy. That's awesome. Okay, last question. And I think this is a big, big question for a lot of the syndicators these days right now. So um, I have a lot of friends out that are, that are educators of multifamily and they do a lot of bees and um, they partner with a lot of people. So they, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, sh- I guess JV would be the wrong term for it because it is a syndication, but they JV with um, other uh, general partners to kind of help them b- bring in more capital. So the big question is uh, how do we do that legally? Okay. Okay, this is a controversial topic. Great, <laughs> I like it. So, technically, under securities laws, if you want to professionally raise capital for others and take what we call transaction-based compensation, meaning you know a percentage of whatever you raise, or you know the, your payment is contingent on um, you actually being able to raise the money, things like that, you have to be licensed generally, as what we call a broker-dealer. Now, being licensed as a broker-dealer, not an easy thing. And, you know, I know all those money raisers in the real estate industry, they don't do it. Okay, so all that aside, um, there are ways of doing this that are more in the gray, um, although I'm very aware so that- So is that a good thing? There's more, There's ways <laughs> to do this that are more in the gray? Is that, should that be So, So- you have to really look at what the law says, right? So one thing is it says transaction-based compensation, right? Okay. So if you don't make it transaction-based, then technically you shouldn't have a problem, right? So if it's like a flat fee, no matter whether uh, you raise the amount or not or how much you raise, generally that should be okay. Um, 
a lot of people will uh, go and be a part of the sponsor, right? And um, so they will actually, you know, be part of the management group and they're given a piece of the manager and they have additional duties um, other than just raising capital, right? Maybe investor relations or something like that. That generally is also okay because they are part of the directors and officers of the company, right? Um, and they're not just doing capital raising. Some people have consulting agreements. Um, those you have to structure very carefully. Now, what I will say about all of this, and, and I did an, an episode with, with Joe a couple years ago on this topic, um, but generally, you know, for folks who want to do this, it's, it's very, it tends to be difficult to find an attorney who will represent you because it is in the gray and it um, is kind of a risky thing. And a lot of attorneys don't want that um, hanging on their malpractice insurance. I don't represent these people. I'm friends with people who do it, right? Um, and I'll like give them a nudge and advice and be like, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> but um but, but yes, yeah, so for, for those folks, like, you know, they, they have to do the best they can and, and it may be difficult to get guidance. Okay. All right. If you have time, I want to ask you a couple more questions on this, but I want to start here. Um, you mentioned that it cannot be transaction-based compensation and a good way, uh, a great way of having this work is to bring them in on the general partnership so that mm -hmm. they're just part of it. And uh, one of the things they might do is raise equity. Um, now, here's the question. How is, you know about clawback provisions, like in the contracts, like if somebody doesn't fulfill what they're <coughs> supposed to do, then like you either lower the amount or take them completely off the deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. How do we implement a clawback provision bring somebody in on a general partnership and if they said that they were going to raise a million as one of the parts of the GP that they were doing as, uh, as an officer and they brought in half of that, how do we legally go so, about it? First of all, you have to remember, I said, I said they're not just raising money. They yes. have other duties, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's accounting, maybe it's investor relationships. Maybe it's yeah. whatever, right? So there's that, A. Secondly, a lot of times the way these deals are structured is they're not necessarily paid a fee outright for raising capital. Maybe they're given 5% of the manager and the manager doesn't really get their, their money or their exits really until the deal exits, right? And so, you know, this has to be seasoned for, at least in multifamily, it's typically five to seven years, Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and it's based off not just the success of the transactions, based off the success of the project. Generally, I find that's a, a nicer way to structure because a lot of these influencers have listservs of people and you don't really want them like selling BS, right? If they're going to put you, try and sell you every deal, that's not great. But if they're going to try and sell you deals where the deal works out in the end, um, they have to believe in it too right? Um, now, there, there is one way of doing this that is legal, okay. like, you know, very legal, very kosher, not in, the, not in the gray. And that's what we call a fund of funds. Have you heard of this term before? 
never ever. Ah, okay. So a fund of funds is, you know, um, there's the the regular sponsor group, right? And they're going out and raising, I don't know, $10 million for, I don't know, portfolio properties or whatever, right? They don't feel like they can raise 10 million all by themselves. So someone approaches them and says, hey, I can, you know, find investors to put in 2 million, right? They don't just find the investors and it's invested directly. They start their own um, syndication, right? So they form an entity, they do their own securities offering based on um, uh, th- their original project, right? And so the money that's raised here, base, uh, the money that's raised through the syndicator gets invested in that entity, which then invests in the actual project. And usually these people earn their fees because they'll earn some sort of carry they get their administration costs covered, their legal costs covered. So really, it's actually a completely different um, uh, offering than uh, the actual, you know, syndication itself. Because, you know, the investors in the fund of funds, they're not supposed to talk to the actual syndicator sponsor, right? The, uh, the, the money raiser does everything and he, and he or she is the one who handles investor relationships and 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 um and asks questions and makes sure everything's on track for the syndication project itself is it essential then if you're doing the fund of funds that you actually the the main deal here has actually got um a syndication attorney creating documents and then if you're a fund of funds is it, I mean, that could be like $20,000 to put your own. Well, not with me, might, but. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's just say, but if it was 20000 and right. not with you, but if it was 20000 and like the amount that you were hoping to have as an acquisition fee was around 20000 like that might be prohibitive. Like, so, so here's the thing, right? Um, fund of funds, it has to be for a large enough raise amount. So again, you have to look at the transaction costs. Typically, it's going to be for larger raises, right? So um, a lot of times, people won't even use them for single-asset syndications. It'll be like, okay, someone's raising a $50 million fund. I'm going to go raise $5 million of that to go invest in their fund. I had an amazing time doing Q&A with you today. I really, really, really appreciate all of the expertise. Now you mentioned to, to out loud uh, that with Bootstrap Legal, it's not always twenty thousand or whatever some other attorneys will charge. Um, so, uh, how do they find you? How do they reach out to you? How do they do some of these deals with you? Yeah, sure. So my website is www.bootstraplegal.com. Um, if people ever want to talk, there's basically a button with a direct link to my calendar where they can schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I can usually diagnose whatever you need in 15 minutes. Um, as as far as cost, you know, we do everything flat fee because I don't believe in billable hour. I think it's dumb for both the client and the attorney. Um, and so our fees basically start at 7500 for an up to $1 million offering. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. And uh, I'll let you go. But until next time, my friend, will you think outside the box? 
I've got the best podcast listeners on the planet. I know this from experience because I've met most of you at some of our events. I've met thousands and thousands and thousands of you. And I love, love it when you guys come out to these events. I am going to be at Rod Cleef's boot camp on May 17th, 18th, and 19th. And this week only, we have a 25% off coupon code for you, the listener. So go to rodsbootcamp.com and use my name, Adam Adams. <laughs>